Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Mischief Makers podcast, and I'm Charlie Russell, hosting brand new episodes chatting all things Peter Pan Goes Wrong, recorded on Broadway in New York City. Welcome to the Mischief Makers podcast in New York City. I'm Charlie Russell and today I have the pleasure of Adam Hunter and Christine Damore as guests on our show. Um, they are the stage managers on Peter Pan Goes Wrong on Broadway. Hello. Hello. Hi Charlie. Hi. Um, I would love it if one or both of you could briefly describe to us your job for anyone who doesn't know what a stage manager might do on Broadway. Christine. Um, a stage manager on Broadway is sort of like the hub of information, I think, where they're the person that doesn't quite create work creatively, but they'll facilitate every creator's contribution. So every technical department, every actor, the director is certainly at the helm of deciding those elements of the production, but I think of the stage manager as sort of like the switchboard operator or the conduit to help people execute their creativity. Wow, that's a really amazing description. I suppose I've never really thought about it like that, but we would be absolutely useless without you. <laughs> would you add anything to it, Adam? No, I mean, I think that's the, the pretty accurate description of it. You know, on a day-to-day basis, the job is just making sure people know what they're doing and when they're supposed to do it. But Christine's description is accurate of sort of the overall arching responsibility of the job. Mm, very good. Were you? Did you always want to be stage managers in theater? Like, what led you to this line of work? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I did once I figured out what it was. I've never been a performer, never been on stage. I did some design. I mean, I was forced to do some acting at college, (gasps) but but it was never like, oh, I'm going to do that, because a lot of people transition from being a performer to being a stage manager for whatever reason. But no, I just, once I found out that it was a job and a position, I did it. I did it, you know, I liked it, and I just kept doing it. People ask you to do something, also that happens. Mm. People ask you to do something, and you say yes, and all of a sudden you realize, like, five years later that you've been doing it for five years, and, uh, oh, this is now what I do. Wow. Yeah. How about you, Christine? Were you always wanting to be a stage manager? 
No, I all I also didn't know what it is. I think it's really hard to learn, like especially when you're doing like theater as a kid, mm-hmm. or even in upper levels of school. Like it's not a job that gets explained easily, or depending on the resources of like school, your access to theater that it's not available to people, mm-hmm. or they don't have a stage manager most likely. Um, but mine is very simple and silly because I love and respect actors so much, and I'm so jealous of how the confidence of it. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to like make theater. So I was auditioning for my high school play as a freshman. I was just waiting in line and I felt like garbage. I like had no interest in like going there and like doing a monologue. And I was like, this is terrible. And I saw somebody speaking to the director about like what they wanted to do next and like had a little list of things to do and got to talk to all the actors and they felt like so confident and so involved in the process. And I was like, she's got a better gig than what I have right here in this line. I'm going to go wow. <laughs> figure out what she's doing. Um, so, but I obviously had no idea. It was just a, a difference of personality, I suppose. Oh, for sure. I mean, I have never once desired <laughs> to be in your position. <laughs> it scares the hell out of me. Yeah, then we're in the right seat. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Right, like, definitely. the responsibility you guys have, and I know it, like, our experience doing the show on Broadway, like, the stuff that you have to cover, it scares me a lot. I would, I would hate the responsibility. And yet... To be fair, going out in front of a thousand people, I'm not sure, whatever. So. Right, and I would not want to do that at all well, to go, right? No. Oh, ideal. <laughs> yeah. Isn't this lovely? So we first met back in person in February 2023, which is this year for our rehearsals. I would, I would love to know, and you are allowed to be honest, what were your first impressions of the company, of Mischief? Because this is a Mischief Makers podcast, so. Sure, sure. Um, I don't know. I mean, we were so it was such an unorthodox situation that Christine and I were brought over to London for one week of rehearsal without really there being a show. Like, I think previously the show was up and running. Mm -hmm. And so people were able to go and see the show and learn and get the knowledge where we were going into a rehearsal room. And you guys all knew the show very well to the point that you didn't need really any props. And Christine and I were just trying to, like, figure out what it was. Mm -hmm. So, frankly, I think I was so focused on that that it was hard to sort of get a sense of mischief as a whole until time has gone on and I got a strong sense of it. But first impression was more just like, ah, how are we going to get this done? Because you guys all obviously know it so well and have been doing it for so long. And we were just sort of like, just sort of wading through and trying to, Mm -hmm. trying to learn what the show was. Have you ever done that before? Sort of gone into a show like that where it's already existed? Uh, I mean, I've done, I've taken over shows Mm -hmm. here in New York, but the show was up and running. So you were able to sort of see it all. You know, we were watching, you know, there was access to videos of other productions, but that weren't your production, Mm -hmm. right? It was another production that was in between with the set that we were going to do, but you guys had done different things. So we were really sort of in detective mode. So I didn't really get a great, I wasn't thinking about Mm. like, you all, unfortunately, as individuals at that point, it was sort of as a, as a collective. Um, I do remember that improv that you guys did. That was quite funny. That's when I was like, oh, right, this is really, yeah, really that funny. Yeah, the day that I feel like that we, at least I was like, oh, I, I understand now. Maybe that this is the core of it all that we hadn't gotten a chance to see. If we had started a normal process with you of building a show or doing the show with you all for the first time, I imagine we would have seen tons of an exercise like that. Mm. Um so to sort of see you all come in and go right down to business, really, of like the lines are done, this, the show is done, and still sort of refining little bits, but the idea of, which is the core of mischief, I think, right? Like new ideas and creating mm-hmm. work for yourselves and with each other. Like we didn't get to see any of that until really the end of rehearsal and just a brief glimpse. Oh, yeah. So for anyone uh, who didn't know, we, yeah, we were doing our rehearsals and we were 
feeling quite confident, I think. So Adam Megiddo, our director, suggested we have a little improv session where we imagined that first day of rehearsal, the Cornley Polytechnic uh, Drama Society coming in and finding out that they had a Broadway show and then how they would handle that and all the different relationships and all the different status. And then we played games, didn't we, of like pointing to who's your best friend in the room, who's the person you're most afraid of, who would you go to in a crisis? Um, and it was, yeah, very fun. It was, it, it really made me laugh. And um, to watch you surprise each other in a way too. I think some <laughs> of the pointing, especially in the relationships, like I saw some people get surprised and sort of rethink <laughs> some things. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Maybe I need to ask, like, actually now then, what is your impression of Mischief as a company? Like, obviously, it's not just changed, it's actually grown because you weren't able to get one um, before. Have yeah. you, what, what, do, like, the, what would you say if you were meeting someone in the street and someone's like, what's Mischief like? What is, who are they? What might you guys say? It's, um, I mean, there's a unique level of collaboration that I think is specific to, it, I'm, maybe it happens more commonly, but certainly in my career, it's the first time where I've seen, you know, 10, 11, 12, 14 people be so collaborative together and be able to take a moment in any direction based on that individual mm-hmm. and have it not really, it's not a typical structure. It's not a hierarchical structure in a classic sense. And that's very interesting to work in. I mean, frankly, from a managerial side, it can cause some <laughs> some difficulties. But from an artistic side, it's very fun to watch and very interesting to be a part of and see how things can change and evolve and that anybody's idea at any moment can alter the course of, of the thing, which mm. is, is really interesting. Yeah, would you say that's different from... So I was thinking about musicals are really... There's a lot to do, right, for you guys and... You've got a lot of cues and a lot of stuff, but do they do they change in the same way throughout a run, or is it a little bit more like this sort of prescriptive in terms of like material? Yeah, because I suppose we were changing quite a lot in the in the previews, and I was just wondering like what's harder in a way. Right, I think that's not. I think musicals often change quite a bit in previews, like depending on the style. Mm-hmm. Um, but once the show settles, and certainly if we had been taking over a musical that had been done in multiple locations over like nine years, I wouldn't expect there to be probably any changes. So I think that did surprise me quite a bit that even like we had conversations last week about changing some things about the show with an actor or two, or even something as small as like a prop or a sound cue. Mm. Um, The fact that the work is always, that it's always top of mind Mm -hmm. that you're always sort of refining and always pushing for it. Where I think a lot of other American companies wouldn't, do that or wouldn't have the people in the building to keep asking those questions, right? The fact that you guys are creators and in the show every night yeah, is I a wonder, very unique situation. I wonder if it's different with, like, if it's American and British or if it's weirdly mischief, but I suppose I can't know because right. I, right. I've only... You're both. Yeah, <laughs> British and mischief, and I don't know which one is the is the unique factor. Um, but you guys have worked together for a long time. So yeah. that's something I'm not... Like, I wasn't aware of in the UK. I don't know if it's the same over there where people sort of tend to find a team and then move around. But can you explain that to, to anyone who doesn't really understand how it works? Like, how come you guys are always working together? I mean, because we can. We've been afforded the opportunity, and it's great. And we work really well together, and I think that that is great. It allows us to, uh, because we both know each other so well, we know how we like things to go, and we can take responsibility for certain things, and it allows us then to sort of always open up like once we get system in place we know the system works we know how each other works so then we can start like maybe doing a little bit more or focusing on different things because we have a familiarity where you're not trying to 
build the system from the ground up every single mm-hmm. time. And it's not to say that we're locked in either. Like we can also then evolve more easily because like, oh, well, we try. Remember uh, two shows ago when we did this, like that didn't work out. So let's not do that. Um, it just saves a lot of time and I think allows us to open up and be more responsive because we have a shorthand yeah i suppose that's a bit like mischief in a way you're your own yeah. double act yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. we are yeah what definitely you've done together there's over 25 <laughs> of them really okay yeah. um give us um what was the last show you did together before peter pan goes wrong um well we did a a new musical that was doing an out-of-town tryout in philadelphia with um some folks at the Philadelphia Theater Company. They mm-hmm. were making a new musical there, and that was very exciting, but it was only a couple of weeks. Um, and then before that, we were on Doubtfire for quite a long time oh, amidst, the pandem- amidst the pandemic. Ooh, so oh that's gosh. been quite a lot of time, but not very many performances, right. <laughs> we like to joke. Um, it's probably over three years of time, but I don't remember the performance count in the end. Not nearly as many as you would think <laughs> for working on it for three years. And then we worked on a series here in New York called Encores, which you do like two weeks of rehearsal and a week of performances, but they're very big. And so they're classic musicals generally, or musicals that aren't done very often or haven't been done a long time for whatever reason, or they were found in a box at the Library of Congress and they restore the score and they do this musical. And we did 20 of those you know, so you do, we did five a year for like three years in a row. And it, that was really where we were able to develop a really strong shorthand. Um, yeah, it was great. We've done, and so there we did, you know, a production of 1776. We did production of Cabin in the Sky. We did like all these, some of them you've never heard of, some of them you have heard of, and they're big, they're big shows done very quickly. Mm. Yeah. With like really, really incredible, like Broadway, New York actors or, you know, larger movie stars or whatever who just want to play and come to boot camp and are very excited. Like, it's sort of, that aspect is sort of similar to Mischief where everyone showed up to Encores, like, very excited about the specific nature of the way Encores is made Mm. and what you get to do for a very limited amount of time. So that energy is nice to be around again and similar. Would you say that's the sort of, um, a a useful factor in terms of how much you're going to enjoy a job? Like, you've got a new gig, you've been employed to do a musical, a play... And is it, what are those moments where you're like, oh, this is going to be a good one like, for you guys? I think it is. I mean, because we have such a unique um, view on the process, like literally where we get to sit, you know, we're in the front row of rehearsal. So I think when it's a good company and it's a collaborative and it's fun, those are more interesting. And you can sort of see that there's magic happening. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's when you know that, oh, then it, it does elevate. It, it elevates you in our jobs because... Uh, you want those people to succeed. You know, they're having fun together. They're respectful of each other, you know, and, and work is always, things are always moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you see that, you know that you're involved in something that's fun and exciting. Okay. So what are the downsides of being a stage manager on Broadway? It doesn't seem like there are any. <laughs> of course not. Nothing. No, it's the best world. It's very glamorous. <laughs> um, you know, shows closed. Like, that's the nature of the business. That's also, like, also a very... Like, um, could be a stressful part of the business as an actor or as any kind of person in theater. Like, show, it's very rare to be on a show that runs forever. Mm. And even if you are, like, do you want to be doing that? Is that something, do you want to do the same show for 30 years in a row, but have the financial security or the job stability Mm -hmm. uh, in exchange? So that can be stressful at times, trying to think about, you know, what's next and constantly making good decisions. But I think that is what is 
the positive side also about mischief or Adam and I working together is you have a stability of knowing that you have a teammate and like mm. maybe your new project will be different, but hopefully you'll be with your team. Yeah. And then there's the horrible actors. No, that, I mean, no. for both of us, that's like Christine said earlier, part. that it is the, it is our favorite part. I mean, I think we share that, that that's what sort of got us in to it. And what like keeps us like our unique seat in rehearsal is exciting. It's exciting to have an insider view of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, actors are uh, actors, frankly, are n- never the problem, quote unquote. Right. It's always circumstances that are annoying. Like I think an unfortunate like a, a drawback of, of commercial theater is just sort of sometimes how the teams get put together and the way that I like to work I feel like I'm very strongly influenced by people's personality and you don't always get to know in commercial theater there's just you know there are certain people that are just on the show and mm. they can have a tremendous impact on on how our jobs go and what it feels like to show up to work every day based on people's personalities and we don't have any control over that. And maybe if we worked in in more of like a regional theater setting or in a company, you would start, at least you would have enough time to then develop a relationship or break things down or like get to understand Mm -hmm. somebody whose personality maybe doesn't jive with yours. And so, but in a quick hit commercial theater environment, it's hard and you don't know if they're going to be successful or if they're going to run that, you know, you are just sometimes stuck with people. (laughs) And that can be particularly hard, I think, in what we do because we are often just there to resolve conflicts and it's not our conflict right we are in the middle of a conflict but it's our responsibility to resolve it Mm. so personality then can have a big influence on that like that's a tricky thing to negotiate yeah yeah, and you know henry lewis what a a bastard (laughs) (laughs) i'm joking we're using his apartment to record this so i can't be mean um that's really interesting i suppose makes me think about when, you know, as, as an actor who doesn't... I've tried to understand about stage management. I did a bit of it at school for a while. Um, after I'd, like, done a bit of training, I did some stage management to kind of learn. But I think that's something maybe people don't understand, that it's a much more people kind of job than they think. It's... it's you, you are the one who has to do quite a lot of uh, negotiating and people management. Um, how do you develop that over time? Was it something you naturally felt good at? Do you have any tips for people who are going into stage management, things they need to think about maybe that are beyond what they might immediately assume is part of the job? (laughs) (laughs) It's hard because I I think at least for me, like the more I maybe were to like self-analyze about it, the more I might get in my head about it and then maybe naturally not do the thing that's been working for me so far. I see. Um, But I think that there is a lot more leadership and compassion than people realize in the job. Like, I think it is very easy to learn the technical jargon that might scare people or learn, learn like, the technical parts of theater that seem complicated. But a lot of the job, like, you can either fake until you learn or you can learn very quickly. But if you can't have a conversation with many different types of people and maintain, like, a level of mutual respect and moving the ball down the field then Mm. you're sort of toast yeah Uh, so it's not really that important if you understand a lot about automation and very complicated things if you and if you do and you can't execute explaining what a director wants to accomplish or how to do some kind of work around to get a goal done it doesn't really matter Mm. I would say yeah it's hard I mean you have to be comfortable like doing I always say this doing nothing but being responsible for everything you know like we don't physically do anything 
right? We're just there. We are middle management in like the clearest definition of middle management. We are in the middle between everybody. Yeah. So you just sort of have to be comfortable with that, that you can't, you, all you can do is try to get things, you have to be able to get things done for the good of the show by convincing people that that's what needs to happen. Yeah. You know, and you want, cause you want people to be invested. The show is always better. The experience is better for everybody. The feeling backstage is better if everybody feels invested in the project. And we can, we have a, a keen uh, place in all of that. Because if you just walk up to somebody and say, no, you have to stand on six, you know, they're going to be like, well, now I just stand on six, but they're not invested mm-hmm. in like why they need to be on six. And you can, there's many ways to then do that. You can find out that someone is really sort of interested in the technical theater or they want to be a director. And you're like, well, it's important that you stand where you are, because if you don't, then it's going to trickle down. It's going to have this effect. Or you can, some actors just want to be told to stand on six and they don't really care. And you just have to like, you know, you have to do that. Or if it's talking to a technician about, you know, some technicians don't, care about the show and that's fine it's their job Mm -hmm. and as long as they do their job then the show will happen so there are people that just want to be spoken to that way like no I just where do I put the glass like Mm -hmm. you just put it right there and some people want to know like some people will be like well why is the glass there and then you can you know but you have to just be willing to read people and get them invested it's like being able to speak many different languages I think what you're like that's really smart I think like knowing how to read people instantly and know, oh, without actually speaking a different tongue, like, oh, if that person spoke Greek and that person spoke Spanish and that person spoke Italian, like, you would have to literally change your language each time. And I think that's what we do, depending on who we're speaking with, mm-hmm. um, in the way that they need to receive information and the way that we think that they're going to get that yeah. thing accomplished. Wow. Now, for those who don't know, standing on six? Yes. So Sorry, that's are... a musical theater term. <laughs> Give us a little of that, Adam. Well, over here, and on musicals now, they literally, across the edge of the stage, there are numbers, and Mm -hmm. center stage is zero, and then you go out by twos, left and right, so there's two stage right, four stage right, six stage right, until you get to the edge of the proscenium. And so in musicals, it's really for dance numbers and formations, and there are people like, what's my number? And the people in the front row are on two, and the people in the second row are on four, so they can be seen in the window, but then it also becomes useful even in just blocking right right it's it's there for musical for dance number formations but then it's very useful for people to just be able to say like oh wait where am i where do i need to Uh stand because the sets change but the edge of the stage never does so you know one scene is in a backstage dressing room the next stage is you know at a train station but the edge of the stage is always the same and you need to know where you stand in relation to a constant and not a set that's always changing behind you Thank you. I've learned a lot acting by numbers. Yes. Um, Now, (laughs) you did say, oh, you don't do anything. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. But I know that's not true because I do the show with you every day and you're there. So you're queuing the show most of the time, Adam and Christine, you're backstage kind of organizing everyone and making sure everything's okay. Um, how do you find, so queuing a show is, is saying go. Right. So the lighting or the sound or the set. Yep, the automation yeah, and the flying and things like that. Okay. How have you found queuing Peter Pan Goes Wrong in comparison to other shows? Is it the same? Is it more tricky because it's a comedy or because it's frenetic? How have you found it? It's more complicated than it's, than a, most plays are. Mm-hmm. But it is structured very much like a musical. I mean, I think that there are moments where, you know, there are heightened moments in Peter Pan Goes Wrong that you could think of as like, oh, that's a musical number section. And then Mm -hmm. we go back into a scene. And then, you know, and there are transitions, like when we go from the nursery to the rooftops to the forest the first time, that's like a transition. And people, often people say, oh, musicals are just transitions. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not necessarily true. But like, this show has transitions in a way that are very musical theater. Like, so it's not uncommon to things that we have done before but I think it would it's a little uncommon for uh for a play how much things are overlapping and inter interlocked mm-hmm. and need to happen in a certain very specific way well, we always talk about um the stage the set being another company member like mm-hmm. another actor on stage because you without you cueing something to fall at the right time yeah it's not as funny have you have you felt any pressure like with the jokes I mean you're making some of the jokes happen uh, no, I mean, I think you guys have always, you've done a good job of, of uh, making it all feel motivated. You know, there's a reason why it happens and that makes it easier to call mm-hmm. than it does if it's, again, like if it's arbitrary or if you're just being told something needs to happen, mm-hmm. then you're not invested in it. But the, everything that happens is motivated by something else. And so it makes it easier to follow along and sort of play along. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting how you guys have done that. Like, the, you're right. I've never didn't think about it until now. How the physical production is another character in the shows always, okay. and you take advantage. You just it's not just a pretty background. Ooh. You know, it's something that needs to be interacted with and can influence what happens to the characters. Right. And yeah. if the if the tree doesn't fall, right, then we're yeah, we then you're all a, stuck. We don't have a ruined Lucy. <laughs> yeah. I know. On that, do you have any um, do you have any moments in the show that even now, like you dread, you worry about either of you? Dread is a strong word. I think I'm every night I I will never be comfortable during the final revolve. And that's my job that rightfully so. Like I also don't want to be comfortable watching the final revolve, you know, like I think there's just a lot of things to watch and a lot of things that I've become more confident in variables of knowing Mm -hmm. more about each of you and each of your journeys. But, um, yeah, that's the one thing every night that yeah you yeah. pay you have to pay the utmost attention. I really don't like the light that falls from above. <laughs> really? Yeah, because like it is a thing that if it were to like people are underneath that trick, mm-hmm. and uh, the, all the other tricks are dangerous. But like when even Pan at the end of Act One, spo- hashtag spoiler alert. Um, like if that were to happen at the wrong time, generally it's going to hit something else first, the mm-hmm. way that it was designed. But that light is just there yeah. until it actually falls. It is just there where a lot of people spend a lot of time. So if it were so to that's fall when, early, yeah, that's just that's the one that always gets me a little like, oh right, let's yeah, that's the one that keeps me a little like. Yeah. So in the show we have a yeah, if, if people haven't seen it, it's not a major spoiler. Um, 
what looks like a giant light falls from the ceiling. And it's not actually a light, is it? No. You asked me recently. Yeah. But it isn't light. It is not light. It That's not, the thing. Yeah. It is not physically light. Yeah. It is heavy and mm-hmm. it makes a big sound. And yeah. if it were to fall on you. It would not be good. Yeah. And it falls from quite a height. Yeah, quite it? a height. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, very, very high. Yeah. 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 It's like almost 40 feet, probably 30 feet. Yeah. Anything 30 feet. From yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's, that's the one. Yeah, great speed. Yeah, yeah. That's the one that always gets me a little like. Yeah. So I'm always a little relieved when it happens because then it's done. It's down. It's fallen. We have the rest of the show. It's not it's actually queuing it. That's the problem. Yeah, right. It's, it's just that it like, lives up there. That it's just there. It's just up, up the there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The of the light. Right. Yeah. This is good to know now. Actually, yeah. I don't think I go in that area, so I'm safe, and that's what matters. That's not not until after it falls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah you're not over there much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the final revolve is again spoilers, but I know a lot of people have seen the show or know it from the BBC production. It's where the the revolving stage goes at quite a lick, and lots of things happen very quickly, including knockouts and falls and rips of clothing and pyros um, and and yeah, Christine, you have to you have to sort of quarterback that whole thing I'm just keeping an eye on it you know in case something looks <laughs> off or somebody needs something moved or someone needs help with something or we have to call something to stop because something's not in the right place but, yeah um no it's it's very well choreographed and it's been going very well and there's no reason not to but it is it's a lot to watch at the same time oh yeah it's interesting how um you guys are all so willing to accept a level of like dealing with something going wrong that wasn't meant to go wrong mm. right it's something that we that a lot of effort a lot of conversations a lot of time is spent to not have happen in shows that every variable is taken care of and that there aren't any and i feel like you guys are willing to like roll with it and uh, adapt if something doesn't happen in a way that's great which is what keeps it you know uh, frenetic and frantic and funny and, and on the edge and the audience can feel that there's a level of on the edge because there are like the final revolve it you know there are things that if it doesn't go just right but you all are willing to accept that and willing to adapt in the moment and sort of I don't know that you want things to not go the way you want them to go the way they're supposed to go <laughs> but if they do you're understanding that this thing has been built that it's very complex and it might there might be things and you know like the contingencies and things like that are all sort of you know, thought about and accepted. There's an acceptance that yeah. things can go wrong, wrong, not they right, can. wrong. Wrong, wrong. Oh. The exchange might be like an over-sterilized bit. Like right. if everything had such a thought through, like, oh, but what if that happens? What if that happens? What if that happens? Then you can sort of end up with like a very sterilized, not funny bit because it obviously looks safe to the audience. Like everyone is like, oh, he's four feet away from the pyro. Like who cares? Like yeah. it's not as good. But if... 100 times out of 99 times it works, then it's worth it to have yeah. a little bit of variable. Yeah. Right. yeah, but also like um, having enough respect for the actor yeah. to say that you know what's happening, yeah. you know how it's dangerous, and so you are taking on a bit of responsibility where oftentimes that is removed and it's sanitized or it's made overly safe. But you guys, it's like, well, no, we, we you know, we trust it. Mm-hmm. Like, we know this is the bit, so I can get, I know I can get this close to it because I know it's happening. Yeah. Right? And that's, that's huge, and it makes a huge difference. Well, it's really nice for us as well because you, like you said, talked about everyone being invested in the show. The more you're invested in it, the less you've learnt it just by like, oh, I stand here, I do this, but I don't know why. The more you can get round a problem, if you know mm-hmm. why you were trying to do that thing, even if now you can't um, pick up that item, you've still got the intentions that you can you can adapt. Um, just the, I have a genuine question, and you, you 
you can be honest. Does it? Does the show still make you laugh ever? Do we still make you laugh? Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you make us laugh every night. Oh, thank yeah. you. Oh, You're very kind. Sandra, and just, so funny. I just slide over ten dollars. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite joke in the show? All over, like the whole show. It doesn't have to be your moment, but it could be yours. What's your favorite bits? I noticed something as we went along. It's just a tiny little thing, but it really makes me. <laughs> it really, really makes me laugh. After um, after Annie comes back to life. Hashtag spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, uh, Jonathan takes her over to the turntable, and he's uh, and when we get back into the show, and the turntable just starts spinning to go into the yoho sequence, and they say it's hook or me this time, and he throws his hand up, and she's like this, and then he reaches behind her, and he grabs her arm, and he just flips her limp arm up like this, just sort of as the revolve is going away. So it's sort of a fleeting moment. It's not lit. It's not highlighted. It's not like trying to get a laugh, and it really makes me laugh because it's just it's very funny, but it's not like hammered home. Yeah. And you just see Annie's arms just sort of like fly up over her head, totally limp, <laughs> and his arm is up stiff, and you can see his hand holding her arm, and it's just really, I really like that. I like everything about it, like that its existence. I like its existence. Oh my goodness, how lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's kind of new-ish, too, I think. There's this new thing that sometimes Chris is doing as Trevor, where right after, spoiler alert again, the narrator gets knocked out for the final time oh, yeah. before he can't finish the story that Chris just is like, like an extra big like slam against the wall and like clearly like his hope finally gets extinguished. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, just like he's been, we've been watching him try so hard all night to keep this play moving. And he really like, I think he really thought like, oh, he's got the book, no problem. And then just he's been extra crushed lately <laughs> when it's the narrator okay. goes down. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. I find, uh, particularly Chris Lee's, like people's improv in those um vamped moments can we we all have a lot of fun like coming up with different things i was shouting at uh, chris bean for spending all the money on his wig and <laughs> on the revolt but then if you're not careful you can make yourself laugh by doing yes. all these things and chris can always crack me up yeah it's so dangerous um oh fantastic you guys had it last night right didn't they get you last didn't um uh, uh jonathan i mean henry and, and yeah they got night. you last night i'm not i yeah. am I am officially the worst <laughs> at corpsing on stage, um, and I can't deny it. I, th- I, you know, I'd love to say it's for some great reason that it's, you know, I'm, I'm so joyful, but I think I'm just a bit silly. Um, but they were doing their... The guy uh, in the front row. They got that guy in the front row, yeah, right? Yeah, shouting at a man yeah. in the front row, yeah. saying, like, he understands and he was asleep. Right. But then oh. also it was... It was John said, oh, the deep blue sea. And Henry Lewis goes, not the deep blue sea. I just said the zoo. Well, you made up the deep blue. That was in your head. And I just, I just started losing it. It was so bad. I have to find ways to cover it all the time. And the other day, Harry Kershaw had to be a cow. Oh, and yeah. he milked oh. himself. He milked himself. He yeah. milked himself he milked, a cow. But yep. from where I was standing, it yep. did not look like he was milking ah, himself. Interesting. And I, yeah, yeah. I had to basically like, run off. Yeah, what's happening? No, we were standing together. Yeah. I think I just kept saying, why doesn't he just moo? Like, why <laughs> can't he just, just moo. say moo? Just moo. That's what I love about this moment <laughs> with Harry when he's the narrator and he's doing the, the covering moment because he he doesn't do the obvious no. thing. But never. That's the best part of it. Right, it yeah. just makes you... Yeah. He's such an interesting... Yeah, he doesn't mew as a cow. doesn't meow as a cat. Yeah, no, he yeah, makes he, the hard choice. He makes the hard choice. Yeah, yep. And the other day, he, he had platypus, and he didn't know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> and so him trying to improvise <laughs> what a platypus was, platypus was when he doesn't even no, know no, it, it cracked me up. That's fantastic. It's so funny. Um, well, there you go. I, I love all those moments as well. I'm so glad it still makes you laugh. 
That's really lovely. Yeah, it is. It, is. it helps go to work. I bet. Yeah. I bet. So if you, all right, if you have to perform in the show, you have to go on in Peter Pango's role, which role do you want to play and why? Oh, oh, I wish you guys could all see this. They're both I mean, obviously Jill and Trevor. Like, they have the least amount of lines. They execute tasks. All right, right, if I give you this gift that you would be able to remember all the lines, you'd be able to do it. Oh, we'd remember the lines. So which one are you going to enjoy? You you feel the most uh, connection with with Trevor and Jill? The stage management. The the path of least resistance. Right, yeah, absolutely, right. So you really, oh, it's funny, I thought one of you would be like, I know, I'd want to be Wendy or something like that. No, no, I mean, I guess, I mean, Dennis would be fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel like. like a good Dennis. I feel like I could pull that off, just this monotone, I could just really just <laughs> lean into that. <laughs> maybe the headphones could be real. Yeah, maybe the headphones could be real. Oh, Christine yeah. could be giving me the lines. Oh, I see, yeah, I no, see, yeah. very good. Yeah, uh-huh. and I could just play Jerry in the booth. <laughs> That could be my job. You no, I'm going to make you be on stage. You're at least going on with a hammer. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, if the question were reversed, I actually don't know if I like had to be backstage for a show. Which one I would do? I think maybe flying. Yeah, yes. sure. Yeah, just, just, just the power of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely ruin people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, this has been so lovely. Now, I usually like to end the, the New York podcast with a little uh, fact about New York. And I learned recently that the first ever pizzeria in America was actually in New York City. Did mm-hmm. you guys know that? I think we do <laughs> know that because we've been accidentally. We went out to lunch. We were hanging out downtown, Christine and I and my kids. And we were like, let's get some pizza. And we walked into this place and then we opened up the menu and they were like, this is the first <laughs> pizzeria in the world. Like, we were like, historical no landmark. We're yeah. like, sure. How many restaurants yeah. downtown say that? Everybody the says that. Is it? But it, like, apparently it is true. And we wow. just like stumbled into it. And the best part was that they serve you pepperoni if you want it in a bowl on the side. What? Like it's been just cooked on just the pepperoni, but it's been cooked. So it's all curled up like it would have been on the top of the pizza. But it's just a side dish of pepperoni. It, Only in New York. Yeah, it was yeah. great. It was amazing. But at least, sometimes you just want to go for the pepperoni. You just want to go for the pepperoni. Yeah. I suppose if you're doing some kind of diet yeah. where you're only allowed greasy meat. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, but this also leads me to the big question because the last podcast I did, uh, the last episode was just with the Brits, right? So we had like top tips for New York in terms of how we've been experiencing it. But I know that asking a New Yorker or someone who's lived in New York a long time about which pizza you should get is is potentially dangerous and might start an argument and this might be the end of your beautiful partnership but (laughs) where would you guys suggest for your pizza coming to new york where's the best pizza there's a place uh in brooklyn called f and f pizza f and f yeah it's not it's relatively new it's only a few years old and it's really really good what makes it so good it's just they have a whole i don't know if you know they have a whole thing about their dough and the yeast and Somebody came out from Seattle who was really good at making pizza dough and got hooked up with these people who run a small restaurant chain out there called uh, Frankie's 457. They started this very well-regarded restaurant, and they have a couple of restaurants on this same strip on the same block, and then they opened up their pizza place, and I really, I really like F&F Pizza. All right. Yeah. F&F Pizza. Nouveau. Nouveau. Yeah. Um, what's the name of that? Very good dollar pizza, but more than a dollar pizza. Oh, Upside. Upside. Like, there's this thing in New York, especially in the theater district, um, dollar pizza, where, mm-hmm. like, it's just advertised in, like, every street corner, and it's usually, like, a 
like a mediocre but fine like bag of cheese on a toasted piece of pizza and you get it for a dollar with a soda and sometimes it's it's everything you need Mm -hmm. yeah and it's just fine and you move along and you're able to get to the show on time or whatever and it was a dollar fifty but there is one that is using a little extra better ingredients and is just a little fancier and a better pizza oven and i think they charge like 250 probably yeah Yeah. but is it worth that extra dollar yeah totally considering the alternative yeah and it's just like a fast good piece of pizza yeah that's something i absolutely love about being here is that any time of the day or night you can get a slice of pizza <laughs> get it. true because you have this problem in London if you're out late you know and you're hungry very quickly your options are very limited mm-hmm. but because your bars stay open later here then your pizza places yes. stay open and you can always get a slice mm-hmm. certainly in Midtown anyway yep. oh delightful Thank you both so much for coming on and speaking to me today. I know we're all off to a, an yes, understudy rehearsal. That's going to be great. I'm, so, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but thank you both for your time and, um, and for all the information about stage management. We're learning so much. And also thank you for being part of the show because I love working with you. We love working with you. Aww. Thanks, Chris. Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm just <laughs> love to spend time with you because we're all so busy at the theater. And I, keep, I always tell Charlie, Charlie that our journeys are quite different for yeah. some reason in the show. Like, our journeys are quite different um so we hardly see each other in person i'm obviously watching her on stage all night long but like the backstage moments our journeys are very removed so it's nice to spend time with you yeah we've had such a lovely lovely experience here on broadway and the whole team the crew everyone backstage are just wonderful thank you so much to everyone at home thank you so much for listening um and we'll be back soon with another episode keep your eyes and your ears peeled lots of love 